0: Welcome to the Rooted and Reaching podcast, a ministry of First Baptist Church in Charlottetown, PEI, Canada. At First Baptist Church, our vision is to be people deeply rooted in the amazing gospel of Jesus Christ, who then reach out into our neighborhood, city, and the world as we live and share the good news. Here is this week's Rooted and Reaching message from FBC Charlottetown.
1: So as I said in our host moment earlier in the service, today's submission in our True Faith, Real Doubt series is worded in a way, again, to be totally honest, right out of the gate, I'm not sure quite what's being said. One thing that I struggle to understand when it comes to living out my faith in these uncertain times is a woman's place in the church. That's what was submitted. And because every submission was sent anonymously, I, I don't know who sent this in. I don't know if this is a woman seeking clarity on who and how to be the person God has created her to be, or is it somebody else trying to get some clarity on roles and positions in the church? I don't know the exact context of the person's struggle. It's an enormous question. And on the surface, it might seem like this is, this is something that only addresses half of the congregation, But how I approach it as a man leading in this church can have an immense impact on the entire culture of the church. So with fear and trembling, it seems sensible to me to take a topic, a question like this one, a woman's place in the church, and head in a straight line to the one who first involved and included women as partners in the spread of the gospel the one on whom the entire Christian church itself was founded. And there's abundant evidence in the gospel accounts to help us see how the women in Jesus' sphere were by him socially elevated, treated with dignity, personally interacted with, and constantly reminded of their inherent value as those created in God's image. Abundant examples, we can look at uh, Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. We could talk about the numerous women who labored within Jesus' ministry. That included his own mother, Mary, and the one known as the other Mary, Who followed Jesus from Galilee, Matthew 27, stood by the cross as he hung on it, John 19, brought the spices necessary to anoint his body following his death, Mark 16, and who was among those on the Sabbath who came to the tomb of Jesus and found it empty, the Lord having risen, Matthew 28. That's not even to mention Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, and others. And here at First Baptist, within the last year, we have spoken pretty clearly about some key other women in the faith, according to the scriptures, and their vital importance to the kingdom of God. It was our Hidden Figures series last summer that included uh, people like Lydia, the first European convert to the way of Jesus. We might speak today about Phoebe, a deaconess in the early church, spoken of fondly by Paul the Apostle in Romans 16. Priscilla. A church leader in Ephesus, along with her husband Aquila, mentioned in several places, including Romans 16. There's the Christian examples of Eunice and Lois, the grandmother and mother of Timothy, Paul's protege and the eventual pastor to the believers in Ephesus. Paul compliments these two women specifically and by name as having been instrumental in conveying the truth of the gospel to Timothy and passing on to him the importance of a vibrant faith in Jesus. Each of these women, and there are so many others within the pages of Scripture, are liberated, elevated, deemed trustworthy, valuable, and in time seen as empowered women in an era, in a culture where women were systematically and habitually held down, treated as property to be owned with voices to be ignored. It's astounding in that light, really, when you look at the way Jesus came into the world and how he acted in this outrageously progressive way when he was around uh, women, ignoring the social norms and traditions about the place, of women, quote unquote, and instead seeing them, defending them, engaging them in this counter-cultural way that declared women to have the exact same standing before God as had any man. Now, I want to give you some evidence of what I've just stated there, and I've opted to, this morning to look together at a... A controversial example, actually, of Jesus' treatment of women in the male-driven, man-centered culture into which he was born. And the passage that I would like us to read this morning is found in John chapter 8. It's verses 1 through 11. And I think, as you turn to John 8, I think this particular scene can teach us a ton about what Jesus thought about the place of women in God's kingdom, in society, and in the church. And that's a somewhat controversial scene since it's not found in the earliest, earliest biblical manuscripts, and where it is found, it's found in other places, uh, around Luke 21, for example. But still, we have it in our Bible, and so rather than skip over it or, or, or try and say that it's, it's not canon, let's learn from it. It's not a comfortable scene. It's socially awkward in a few places, but it's telling. It's telling about the way Jesus saw women and their place in God's kingdom. So let's read it, and then I'll explain why this set of verses spoke loudest to me on this subject. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery, They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. Okay, so here we have a woman brought to Jesus by a group of men who determined that uh, they want him in on shaming her publicly alongside them. And a spokesman for the Pharisees leading the shaming loudly levels this accusation against the woman. She was caught in the act of adultery. Let me, uh, let me repeat that for you. She was caught in the act of adultery. It should be notable for us as we read this that only the woman is being brought forward and only she is accused of breaking the law that very plainly and logically friends takes two to break. In their selective outrage... And in laying out this accusation against the woman, they remind Jesus that the law of Moses requires that, that, uh, that women in question like that be stoned to death for what they have done. Except, I know that's what they really, really want the law to say. That's not what it says. The specific law to which they're referring is Deuteronomy 22. 23 and 24. And that specific law does regard adultery. It applies only to a woman who was betrothed or engaged already. And even then, if it were the case here, the woman who's been brought in front of Jesus, that law that they're quoting to justify that states that both the women and the man would both be executed. So the man who's been with this woman gets a pass. The Pharisees are twistedly misinterpreting, misapplying the scriptures to get an outcome that they want, to justify an outcome that they've already determined. That outcome is one that keeps a woman in an inferior place and men in a place of superiority. So the passage explained for us that the Pharisees were doing all of this as a means to trap Jesus, uh, to create a legal trap for him to fall into, and they wanted it to work like this. If he agreed with them, that would put him squarely into conflict with the Romans, who we know from later details at the crucifixion of Jesus didn't actually allow Jews to carry out death sentences themselves. So that would put him in contradiction with the Romans. But if Jesus said he disagreed with what they were saying, then he'd be perceived by his own people as de- denying the authority of the laws of Moses. And so as I read this, it comes down to it being a case of man-made laws and interpretations getting applied in ways that God had not prescribed them to be applied. Restrictions and punishments attributed to God that God never called for. But it was an outcome that would suit the Pharisees. And so in this badly designed trap, evidently boys are going to be boys because for the exact same alleged crime a woman needs to be treated differently than a man does, the man gets a pass. Well, smack dab, smack dab in the middle of this contrived righteousness by the Pharisees, Jesus is going to respond to this attempt to trap him. And he does it in the most fascinating of ways. He stoops down and doodles in the sand with his finger. just stoops down and writes in the dirt at his feet. Now, whether he drew a picture Or he wrote some words there. The Bible doesn't say that. It only records that his immediate response to the Pharisees was to scribble in the sand. We also don't know how long precisely their accusation hung in the air. How often, how many times they goaded Jesus to respond. But it does say in verse 7 that following some ongoing questioning of him, Jesus calls them on their crooked bluff He throws their own feeble accusations back on them. And he says, okay, if you really believe that the death penalty should be enforceable here, given that you're in Roman-occupied land, go ahead. But, of course, those first ones to throw stones should be those who have no sin of their own, which could be judged with the exact same severity. Brilliant. Just a brilliant response from the Lord. And it stuck the Pharisees in their own trap. Because who among them now at this point is going to say, well, I don't have any sin. Only God is without sin. And so at this point, the malicious energy drains out of the crowd. And the mob dissipates. And it begins with the oldest ones first. And I don't think that's a coincidence that the Bible points that out. Those who knew better. Those who had lived longer, those who had seen and done more, they were the wise ones who were also the first ones to withdraw knowing they were not going to get the outcome they had planned on that day. And they're followed shortly after by everyone else. Now, Jesus is scribbling in the sand still as the crowd leaves. And at a certain point, he stands up and he's next to the woman and he points out to her that, hey, look, all of your accusers, where are they? They're gone. Isn't there anybody here that's going to condemn you today? She says, no, they're, they're all gone. Jesus says those beautiful, profound words, neither do I condemn you. Go now. Leave your life of sin. So you can sit there this morning and go, cool story, pastor, but what in the world does that have to do with the place of women in the church? I think it has a lot to do with this topic. I think it speaks quite directly to the wrong-headed human motivation and some hurtful cultural and societal realities that still exist for women today, including you in the church. At the end of the day, this scene in John chapter 8 is an event where you've got men making judgments about a woman while at the self-same time protecting a man who was determined to have had the exact same circumstance in his life. Across the Christian spectrum, women in the Christian church in 2024 are frequently being held to different standards than men. Standards that in many places serve to keep women down and prop undeserving men up. In this way, we see these, in these verses a woman being treated as nothing more than an object lesson not as a person made in the image of God. An example, a story to tell, a trap to lay. From the beginning, men were created to be partners with women, women partners with men. When it comes to church life, the ground should be level at the foot of the cross. No one should stand any higher than anyone else. The heart of the Pharisees' accusations and judgments about this woman are built on human thinking and a human practice that had been allowed to supersede and, in fact, replace God's own intentions for the very law that they were quoting. Hmm. I think that's a lesson for us in the church to be applying in every situation as best we can as fallible, sinful human beings. What God is actually saying in Scripture not just what it would be awesome if he said, because that's what I already think. What did God actually say? When it comes to the role of men in the church community, the roles of women in the church community, did God actually commend the things we've always done or always taken as a given? And are we sure about that? And in his verbal response to the, to the Pharisees, Jesus cleverly illustrates just how wrong hypocrisy and inconsistent standards are, and how they in fact contravene the very spirit of God's laws. And to apply the, that same principle in the church means that on whatever basis you judge the place of a man in the church, you need to use that exact same standard for the women in the church. If I'm acceptable to you to be pastoral team lead because you recognize somewhere some giftings and abilities, then be sure to be measuring the women the same way. If you would prevent a woman from being a key leader in the church for some reason, well, to avoid hypocrisy, make sure you're applying that same preventative, restrictive measure to the men as well. Finally, and I'm basing this on Jesus' own words, Sin exists. Sin is worthy of God's judgment. The reality of sin is the reason, in reality, that Jesus had to die on a cross. But being a woman is not a sin. In this John 8 passage, the woman's behavior, as well as the behavior of the man, was sinful, but they weren't unforgivable sins. Jesus called out the sin of hypocrisy in the Pharisees who refused to own up and repent of their own sin even though they were forced to confront it by admitting that there wasn't one of them that could throw the first stone. Jesus tells the woman he doesn't condemn her. But stop sinning. Stop sinning in that way going forward. Jesus is very clear. The Pharisees devalued and judged her most severely, not for her sin, but because she was a woman. And in that culture, inferior to the men. The man she'd been caught with, allegedly, well, he gets a pass for the exact same behavior that they're accusing the woman of. Here, as with every person he ever ministered to, Jesus doesn't give free passes to sinners. He offers forgiveness for sin to those who repent. Being a woman in the kingdom of God must be challenging. It must be at times frustrating. It must also at times be wonderful and a lot of other things, but one thing it is not, church, is sin. Now before we finish this examination of the place of women in the church, I want to go back to the wording that was submitted And quickly look at it, but from a different vantage point, very quickly. So this challenge, this this concern that was submitted had to do with the place of women in the church or a woman's place in the church. And one person might read that sentence as a call for restrictions or at minimum clear guidelines so the church is clear about what men should be about in the body and what women should be about. But what if we were to read those exact same words as a call for freedom. What if it's the voice of someone who knows already that women have a vital place in the body of Christ, but just isn't seeing it embraced? Isn't seeing it celebrated? Isn't seeing it lived out in their church experience? Well, I think that changes the way that we would think about the answer to this concern. What if this submission was the voice of a daughter of the king longing to bring forward her vast array of spiritual gifts, but seeing no place in the church to do that, where it would be welcomed, where her gifts would be integrated or even appreciated. It's a fact on the Christian spectrum that there's a wide variety of thought and conviction on a woman's place in the church. There are denominations and conventions, and we belong to one that unapologetically embrace what is known as an egalitarian perspective. It just, it advocates for equal roles and opportunities for men and women in all and every aspect of church life. Also on the spectrum are complementarians that suggest that all are valuable, all are made in the image of God, but there are roles in the church reserved for men alone. Pastor, deacon, elder but that women can serve in any other supportive role. This church, this church, unapologetically egalitarian. We have three female pastors on our ministry staff who are awesome. They bring significant, godly, spirit-led leadership to their respective portfolios, whether it's children and family, or youth, or our worship ministries. In this church, women participate, serve, and lead as they are uniquely gifted by God to do. And so do men. Women in this church point others to the hope of Jesus in many ways through connect groups and Sunday preaching contexts. And so do men. Not every woman in the church serves in leadership or can teach or preach. Neither can every man. And so in this way, here at First Baptist, both men and women are equal before God in both their human value and in the many ways that God uses us all in His church. An equal voice, equal ownership of mission, equal responsibility for and to our brothers and sisters in the faith. But with having said what I've said and preached what I've preached, I want to end this way, by saying something that I don't want any of us to miss before the worship team comes back. Maybe even as the worship team comes back. If you are a woman in this church, in this church, and you don't feel seen here, if you don't feel heard here, if you don't sense that there's a place here for you to live out God's spiritual giftings within you, if you're ever made to feel less than valuable or disrespected or that the standards that the church holds women to are different than those that men are held to, hear me as the pastoral team lead apologize to you for that. It's not okay. It's not okay. If you look around, ladies, and you don't see a place for you here merely because you're a woman, if you feel unsafe here, if you feel unempowered here, or if you're made to feel in any way inferior in this place, please, please inform me of that so that we as church leaders, both men and women, can repent of, address, and fix that reality without delay so that we as leaders would sin no more. We want to ensure that our actions here match our words, that our convictions match our practices, but more than that, that our actions match Jesus' words and that our convictions match Jesus' practices in this place, a place for women,
0: a place for men under Christ. You've been listening to the Rooted and Reaching Podcast, a weekly ministry of First Baptist Church in Charlottetown, PEI, Canada. Our theme music is inspired by Ben Sound. For more information or to support the ministries of FBC Charlottetown, please visit our website, myfbc.ca today. If you found the content of today's podcast encouraging, please be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast and drop us a comment. In addition, consider sharing today's rooted and reaching podcast with at least one other person this week who might be blessed through it or become better biblically rooted through it.